again, 613 Golfers. I am glad you were able to drop in to spend some time with me uh, on this episode of 613 Golfer Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Jeff Botter, publisher of Flagstick Golf Magazine. Well, let's get right to it. Last show, last episode, we uh, we were getting all excited about the warmer weather. We talked about uh, the Kevin Hame Golf Center opening up and, uh, and things were looking really, really good. Things aren't looking bad. But we took a we took a major turn for the for the negative literally with the temperatures and uh, and the weather got really cold again. I didn't stop the golfers from heading out to Kevin's place to hit balls, but it may have slowed things down with respect to getting things open and, and running a little quicker than we uh, we had uh, we had planned for. No matter if I look at the long range forecast, it does look like we're getting into double digit numbers uh, above zero. Uh, into next week, uh, getting warmer as this week progresses. So uh, we'll get back to those warm temperatures and everybody will start getting really excited about golfing again. Um, also on the last episode, uh, we had Chris Feltkamp from the uh, Play Junior Golf Tour on and, and we talked about the Play Junior Golf Tour and, and it ramping up for this year. And I got to say, uh, the response to that interview in particular, um, both interviews were fantastic, but we did get an awful lot of um, feedback and inquiry uh, about the Play Junior Golf Tour. Uh, we made the announcement that we'd uh, come on board as the uh, media, official media partner for the Play Junior Golf Tour for 2021 uh, and the and you know, beyond. We're, we're sure of that. Um, but uh, for those people looking to get a little bit more information about it, um, just visit the Play Junior Golf Tour's website at uh, pjgt, uh, pjgtour.com and uh, you'll see all the information you need to see there and you might be able to drop uh, Chris uh, a, a quick email if you have any extra questions. Um, now the Golf Expo wrapped up on Sunday night and um, I had a chance to really get in there and tour around and see what the show was all about and I, and I have to say I, I think they did an amazing job. I don't know the final statistics on how many people visited and they, they probably don't know all of the statistics as of yet uh, have, having talked to Greg Chambers um, about that, um, they're still tabulating things and figuring out all the analytics, but uh, by all accounts, it was a really well-received show and, and got a lot of interest and a lot of traffic to the, uh, to the uh, Virtual Golf Expo website. So a lot of good things happened after the last two episodes, and, and we're really excited to get, get rolling here. Um, on this show, we're trying to introduce everyone to some different aspects of golf throughout the 613. A little bit of an education process, uh, if you want to look at it that way. Um, a bit of an education as to the rest of what happens outside of the norm in golf. I mean, we talk about tournaments and charity events and things like that, but there are some other things that happen, maybe behind the scenes, maybe not behind the scenes, but things that most golfers throughout the 613 uh, wouldn't know about. So that said, um, we have a really great podcast lined up for this episode. A little later on, we're going to talk to Drew Lefebvre, who's the uh, executive, or sorry, my mistake. He is the tournament director uh, of the Ottawa Valley Golf Association. He's going to give us a little bit of an update on the uh, preliminary schedule that was released recently and some other uh, very interesting little golf nuggets uh, uh, within the Ottawa Valley Golf Association that I think some of you may, most of you may find uh, very interesting. Um, but before we get to that, every organization needs a behind the scenes person. Uh, 
and, and maybe not so much a behind the scenes in this case, there is a little bit behind the scenes, but there is some, you know, right out front and center too. Um, golf professionals are no exception. Uh, somebody that needs to kind of keep it on the rails, so to speak. My first guest um, in this episode of 613 Golfer is the executive director of the PGA of Canada Ottawa Zone, Carol Ann Baxter. Hello, Carol Ann, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much on this blustery March day. I know it is. That I, I mentioned in my intro there that uh, we'd started out um, with all these high hopes. It was, you know, 10, 11, 12 degrees. Things were melting fast, you know. Uh, you know, for you, things were melting fast at the driving range. I should mention to people that uh, not only is uh, Carol Ann the executive director of the uh, the uh, PGA of Canada Ottawa Zone, but Carol Ann also is the owner at Archie's uh, in Cornwall. So this is a busy time of year for you for a number of different reasons, isn't it? This is a, oh, kind of time, you know, especially this year. It's been so strange, as we all know, but you you kind of are coasting along and you've got those things in the back of your mind. Yeah, I get to that to-do list. I got to do this and this and this. And then March 1st hits and it's like, okay, if the weather <laughs> turns, it's like, wow, we've got so much to get done. So yeah, we were out, as you said, uh, with those mild temps. I think it got to almost 18 degrees here last Wednesday. Insane. And uh, Thursday, I went into Archie. So I went in two days from not being able to drive in the parking lot because there was so much snow because we don't plow it in the winter um, to going in Thursday. And there wasn't a speck. I just, I couldn't believe how quickly it all went away. And, you know, the pond was running a little bit. And uh, so we were there working this weekend. <laughs> nice. Nice. So it'll be, so it'll be ready to go. But the, the, I mean, the cold temperatures, you know, hit back. I know even the outdoor rink in the backyard there, I kind of gave up on it when the warm temperatures came and I'm looking at on the weekend looking yeah geez if I just threw a couple of floods on that you could skate on it again but you know it's uh it, it's dead now I'm done with it <laughs> no well, more outdoor good, rink you had a good season with it so you moved it from the front yard to the backyard yeah well when we moved to the new place uh um now the driveway oh, yes. it's taken over in in uh, in the driveway in the back there it's not actually in the backyard it's in the driveway right okay fortunately we have a big enough driveway that I was able to do that but Although no, I don't I, know how well that would go over if I was using the driveway as the old house for it. <laughs> Anyways, it's all good. It's all good. But we're okay. we're about golf now. You know, we've got okay. to talk about yes. golf now. So yep. before we get to what's happening with the uh, with the uh, Ottawa PGA, and uh, I want to get to know a little bit more. I want our listeners and our and our and our viewers to get to know a little bit more about Carol Ann Baxter. Um, you began as a member of the LPGA, correct? I did many, many, many over 25 years ago. Yes, okay, I did. So why don't you why don't you walk us through a little bit about where how you got from there to where yeah. you are now? Well, as you know, Jeff, and as most people who know me know that I did I grew up in the golf business and my dad built a golf course when I was a tiny tot. And uh, so I grew up in the business. Um, however, I did uh, sway away from there and after graduating university. I was working actually with uh, Price Waterhouse in Ottawa and uh, had a friend, many know, Bob Flero, who was uh, the new pro at the Cornwall uh, Country Club. So I had started playing seriously um, in about my early 20s after being away from the game for a while. So I hopped on the, hopped on, hopped on the Futures Tour 
And at that time, which is now the symmetric tour, at that time you pretty much could hop on. I don't think I'd get anywhere near it uh, these days. But so I started, uh, I started playing a little bit more competitively, which I had never done as a youngster. And uh, started working part-time uh, for Bob at the Cornwall Club because I was working kind of remote, semi-remotely for Pricewaterhouse. And in that span of a couple of years of morphing out of PWC and into golf full-time and started playing more, it, it became apparent pretty quickly that if I wanted to earn a living at this business that I better learn another aspect of it other than playing because although I loved the competitive part of it and I'm about a six under on the range um, when I get on the golf course I just I never have the mental capacity to uh, stay tough and those girls are tough uh, much more so than the men. I played a lot of mini tours with, with mi in mixed events and the men were much nicer to play with than the women were. Um, but I won't name any because some are still on tour and making lots of money. So they figured out how to do it. So I had joined, I joined the LPGA primarily because I wanted to teach. And I did quickly learn that, you know, you can make a good living uh, if you educate yourself and know how to deal with people and are an effective communicator and uh, so that's the route that I went um, joined the LPGA uh, did join the PGA for a while way back then as well but uh, as things have changed over the years I've as you know gone back to the PGA which is lovely something I always wanted to do so that's my roots in a nutshell like a lot of PGA professionals um you know, a lot of them might get into the business initially because of the playing. Um, right. I and mean, especially when you when you started in it, a lot of a lot of people didn't get into the business specifically because they wanted to teach. They got into the business either for for the pro shop side of it, or they got into it because they like to play. And right. it wasn't until they got into it and started to realize how much was involved with one side over the other side that they found a path um, that they actually wanted to follow, whether it was playing because they were really good at it, um, or whether it was teaching because they found that that was helping people get better at this frustrating game was more important to them. Uh, or if it was the business right. side of things where, you know, they just really like merchandising and things like that. So, um, a lot is involved with, uh, with being, um, a PGF Canada professional, um, like we just talked about more so than probably most people think. Um, so talk about the things that people might not know or might not understand when it comes to the PG being a PGA of Canada pro. Um, thank you for that bit of background. Cause you're exactly right. That um, the role has changed over the years and, and the traditional, the way of, you know, the traditional, golf professional when I got into the business and you know there were a lot of pros that had been around for a long time and you saw them as as kind of the heart and soul of I would say the pro shop in in a lot of golf courses right where they they did a lot of everything where they would be teaching a little bit but it was really that pro shop I think that was the heart um, of what they did and they owned the shop and um, they had a vested interest in in everything that ran out of there as well as the people that came and went and and as well as playing and I think what we found over the years is that 
specialization has become a key in like in many instances, right? In, in many occupations. And, and so that's one of the things that I've really noticed has changed um, over the years. But the other thing that it's done is because people are specializing, it's actually um, broadened the employability of a lot of our members. Um, so that now you don't just have to work in a pro shop or just at a golf course. You know, we've, we've got the teaching facilities, um, high tech places, we've got journalists, um, we've got those that still certainly are playing and, and on tour. And, and now we've got fitness people who, you know, want to specialize in, in helping their golfers in their community uh, get fit and uh, stay healthy and things like that. You know, we've got nutritionists that cross over into to the golf world. So it's really been interesting to see how the dynamics of that have changed and how the occupation as a whole um, has, in my opinion, gotten much better and expanded. And because of that, uh, the PGA itself as an organization has had to change the way that it approaches membership um and and how they approach who who they they want to uh to bring in to attract uh to the profession and um how they run their educational programs as well so it's um it's been an interesting time uh to be part of the pga as i said i was a member many many years ago and it was so different and so um if i dare say old boys club mentality uh and that is so so totally changed now uh it's, it's been it's been great to be part of the change for sure that's great um so one of the things i want to point out for people too is uh is that even though so much has changed with the pga uh as far as the paths that you can take because there's a lot of different arms to it now or branches to it now than there was before in the past you wanted to get in you apprenticed you you had to basically you had to do your time in the shop selling sleeves of golf balls and listening right. you know talking to members and stuff now that still happens today but but the apprenticeship portion of it is not quite the same however one thing that hasn't changed is the fact that to get to be a part of the PGA of Canada, um, there's still an emphasis on playing and because you still have to get in that way, correct? You do, you do. And, and, and those, those parameters have changed a little bit as well and eased somewhat because uh, I think the PGA realized that they were missing out on a lot of really, really good professionals um, by having the entrance requirements and specifically the playing ability so strict and following other profession, golf professional organizations around the globe, uh, the trend has been to make it not all about playing. And that actually is a direct offset um, or result of conversations with owners and what they wanted in their golf professional and when they listed all of the important criteria i think playing ability was about the 11th on the list um being a business person now is is top uh being able to to teach being able to communicate uh those those things as an owner you can imagine those are much more important because as the times have changed with golf um particularly in the 613 area uh where we have an overabundance of golf course let's let's 
call a spade a spade. Um, it's gotten much more competitive to run the business as a business and to make money. And so uh, with last year being maybe the exception in that since about 2009 up until 2020, golf course owners have had to totally rethink the way that they run their businesses and the people that they employ. And as, as um, a result of that, they've demanded more from their pros and their pros have needed to be better business people as well as golf professionals, which I think is only a positive all the way around. But back to your question, playing, yes, it still is um, a very uh, important criteria particularly in the minds of golf professionals. They hold that ability to play well near and dear. Uh, and and it is a, it's, a, it's a source of pride uh, to be able to get, to get your card, to play in. Uh, and once upon a time, you had to play out as well. Uh, and, and it really is um, kind of a, a badge of honor that uh, most professionals uh, uh, take very seriously. I, I, and the reason I wanted to bring that up, Caroline, is, is, is that because being a golf professional, I think it's important that people understand that, um, that you can't just, you know, sign up to be, to be a golf pro. You know, I mean, lots of people have a lot of interest in golf. Lots of people are decent golfers. Um, lots of people are good talkers, good communicators, and think that they can teach their neighbor how to, you know, hit a hit a draw, hit a fade, you know, keep it low, chip and putt, um, and and that's that's great. But I think that the reason I want to emphasize the importance of playing is because, like you said, it is a sense of pride, and and the people that join the PGA as entrance level apprentices, uh, candidates for membership. Um, no, they, apprentice professionals. Apprentice <laughs> professionals now. Sorry, it's changed again. Um, they they still have to have an ability to play the game um, and not just be able to talk about it. Absolutely. And, and I think anybody who really thinks about it, you know, realizes why that is important. There has to be a skill set there. And, uh, you know, to a certain point, too, it's lead by example. And there as as you said and i thank you for that and no you can't just walk off the street and say being i want to be a pro so that i can get a free set of clubs or and and trust me it has happened uh it has happened or we've you know one of the one of the criteria for entrance is you have to be working in the golf industry well in this web world now you know you you get jane or or joe that that says oh well i've got a golf page on you know a a web page that has the word golf in it. So I'm in the golf business. So it has changed in that we've, and as, as my role, one of the things is vetting um, potential members just to ensure they are who they say they are. And unfortunately we've had to do that because we've had some people try to circumvent it. Um, so I'm happy to say that there've been a few things from the old era that have come back. For instance, this year, if you want to, uh, apply, um, you have to have a letter of reference from a PGA, a class A PGA of Canada professional. And, and I think that's so important. I, I had to have two or three when I first joined. So it's, you know, you've made yourself known, uh, you've learned a little bit about what in order to, you know, have somebody write you a letter, obviously, you've needed to learn a little bit about them and what they do. And hopefully you've had those conversations. So yeah, there is, there is much more 
more to being able to just tee it up and talk or talk about golf or, or play the game. Um, and, and then once you do get in, uh, the requirements now are, as I mentioned earlier, much more specialized, which is nice because you can pick your path. But um, they're also quite, it, it's, it's, it's not a given uh, that you're going to get through the system because there's a fair bit of work you have to do as you're apprenticing and as you work your way through uh, to become a class A. Well, it's a major commitment. Um, I know, and I think you'd agree. It's a major commitment. And, and I, I got to say, you know, as, as I'm talking to you, um, that I've witnessed this firsthand. Um, I've witnessed the process firsthand, probably very, very close to home uh, with, with my, um, my good friend and, and the associate publisher of this, this magazine, a flagstick magazine, Scott McLeod. Um, Scott, uh, I'll say, has had a passion for teaching the game for a very, very, very long time. Chose not to go down the road of, because he wanted to teach, chose not to go down the road of, of going with a, a different organization to get that. Not, and I'm not, I'm not sitting, gonna you know, poke any fun or, or ridicule any other organizations. I'm just saying for Scott, being a PGA of Canada professional and teaching within that organization had, had such a, um, was so dear to him that he was willing to put in while he's working full-time plus, I mean, full-time working for, for Flagstick and with me is not 40 hours a week um, by any stretch, um, but he put in the time, um, you know, and, and yes, I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't stand in the way of it because I wanted him to do this and it was important to him. And he just, he put in so many hours and so much time at night doing the, the courses that he needed, because there's an education component that you have to have as well, um, you know, and he put in all that work in those hours. And I saw, uh, I saw the results of, of passing the playability test. I saw the results of handing in the last assignment and getting the, you know, getting that, you know, I am a class A uh, PGA of Canada professional and and now he's able to he's able to teach with that banner uh, hanging over his head that he worked so hard to earn and I think that's part of what I'm glad that the PGA of Canada loosened things up from what they were and created these paths that that play that people can take to follow a direction that means the most to them and that and because of that they'll put the effort into that you know if if they had to do it a different way, maybe they wouldn't go through it. And that would mean that the PGA would lose out, like you said, on a lot of people in that would become PGA of Canada professionals that's good for their organization. And and that's true. And especially someone like Scott and and myself, we're kind of in their more towards their twilight, right? Where we're where we have well, um, not so much, but maybe the back night. Um where uh, uh, because I too, um, as I said, I was a member of the PGA for six years. Uh, and then I bought Archie's in 1999 and all of a sudden didn't fit the criteria just as I was about to qualify my, for my class A. And I, I won't go into it, but I ended up leaving the organization and it wasn't until some of those rules changed and they invited me to come back, I did. Now I had to basically start from the beginning now because I'm already a, a class A, now a life member of the LPG, my goodness. Um, I got a lot of credit for that, but I still had to uh, 
do some extra courses, uh, meet the criteria, jump to the, and as you said, put in the time and effort and, and like Scott did it because it was so important to me to, to have those credentials and to be part of the organization. Um, and it, it's stories like that, like Scott's stories that just, you know, are so great really. Um, to, as a testament to how important this is in the golf world. Um, and I, I frequently remind my professionals about that, that they do play a very important role in not only just the, you know, the physicality of them being at a, at a, at a golf course, but, or, or teaching at a facility or, or, or teaching someone how to stretch properly, all those different things um, that golfers hold them um, to a certain standard as well. And, and to have gone the route that Scott did and, and to get his class A and I know how hard he worked at it really does speak to um, how ingrained the association is in, in the world of golf. And I'm, I'm proud of that. It's oh, amazing. So I wanna talk about, I wanna ask you about how the COVID-19 pandemic when it hit imp really impacted um, the PGA. I know it impacted the, the, the pros because a lot of them are, at, you know, the courses had were impacted by it. But aside from just that, we can speak of that as well. But how did it impact the PGA going forward and, and how it operated? Uh, had a tremendous impact. And, um, you know, the, the, the phrase that we've used for the spring of 2020 was, ready step ready set stop uh and and because that's where we were at we were at the gates uh, a few courses up here even ready to open for me it looked like it was going to be one of the earliest openings uh we'd ever had and march 19th boom everything stopped for two months for two months so we went from a state of um panic with a lot of owners and golf professionals like what am I going to do because as you know a lot of them you know it's a seasonal employment so when you're not called back uh, for the new season it's it's quite daunting but once we did get into it um, I would characterize it as a different kind of stress that we've probably never experienced before as golf professionals because you carried the two things the fact that golf exploded and was so busy and you you have this responsibility of keeping everybody that walks through your pro shop door when they were allowed to come in the pro shop safe and so the the, the professionals role in a lot of cases took on an entirely new form and uh you know it's for many of us it's just such a blur because it was non-stop, uh, which was great. I mean, we've been wanting golf to, to have a boom for so many years, but then to get it in a situation where you're so restricted, it was, it was a very, very taxing year on, on a lot of our members, for sure. I mean, and, and I've, again, witnessing it firsthand, I witnessed it, you know, even myself, I wasn't able to go, I wasn't able to go and see everybody that I normally would be able to go and see. And we weren't quite into doing the Zooming stuff and the Google Meets and stuff just yet. It was, it was very raw. And um, there was an, an adaptation period, even for us, where, you know, you're, 
you're thrust into doing things that that you're just not comfortable doing yet and neither are the people that you're trying to you're trying to um, work with uh, our clients weren't ready for for digital uh, yet they they we all knew it was coming but we weren't ready for it and I think you know when I witnessed it you know just across the street from from my place at the Metcalf Golf Club um, how they set up and how you you know 10 minutes 15 minutes ahead you had to stay in your car until it was your time to get out it was like you know and the parking lot was was jammed the golf courses were jammed with people but these limitations and these restrictions were so intense um you know wondering can i get food can i not get food can i get a drink do i bring a drink am i allowed to practice on the putting green am i allowed to hit balls on the range how long can i be there for like it was just you know oh i touched the flag what do i do now you know i and i'm looking at i'm looking at 2021 and i'm thinking to myself okay well we're here again you know, yes, we got a vaccine on the way. Yes, you know, people are starting to maybe feel a little bit better about everything. But we're going into this season and we're, we're doing the same thing again. Um, these restrictions are still going to exist. You're still not going to be allowed to do what you were able to do in 2019. You know, we're still going back to these 2020 rules. And it's going to be interesting to see how the landscape of the golf industry progresses through 2021 based on how we handled it and managed it in 2020 with all that knowledge and that that you hit the nail on the head the knowledge and the experience and I think so I think for most of us we're going into it a little more relaxed uh now that we know you know we pulled it off for a season um and and like you I'm going back I don't I even think I answered your last question because as the PGA, obviously my role, like you, changed dramatically. Um, we didn't have a tour last year. We only ran two events. Um, I only went to one of them. Um, I'm so used to being out and visiting with my my members and and flitting around and and you know just kind of having my fingers in the pie and know what's going on with everybody. And then boom, to to have to do as you said, everything remotely, everything digitally digitally it really did change from an organizational point how we did things um but to go into this year as you said i think now that we've all had that experience and you know i can quite confidently say um nothing's going to stop the golf courses from opening this year um i've been part of the uh we are golf ontario committee and Certainly with what happened with the ski hills this year, we were very concerned that, you know, on a dime things could change. And that was what was happening last spring. But because we had that year under our belt, and I think because we proved to the Ontario government that, you know, not only did we take it seriously, but we could pull it off safely. And uh, as far as we know, there were no uh, outbreaks as a result of golf. and. Uh, and we were praised uh, as as an organ as a as a complete body uh, for everything from the superintendents to the club managers to the professionals and the owners and everybody in between the Ontario government did recognize that. So thankfully, um, we can enter into this season knowing that pretty much nothing's going to stop the courses from being allowed to open. Um, even if we go into gray, uh, chances are uh, that won't happen because one of the things that has come out of this is the importance of 
mental health and being able to get out um, and, and get fresh air and move around. And we're just so fortunate that our, our business does allow for that. Golf, golf is, you know, kind of checks every box in terms of, although might, some might say it doesn't help their mental uh, status, depending on how they're playing, but for the most part, you know, being able to get out, see people from a distance, uh, enjoy nature, have a walk, get some exercise, all of those things. And we can do it in a touchless fashion. So I can confidently say, we all know we're going to come out of the gate strong. Um, and hopefully some of the restrictions might ease as we go along. Let's just say we don't expect it to be any more difficult than it was uh, last season. And I know from a PGA perspective, uh, we are certainly planning on having a full flagstick.com tour uh, in 2021 and have secured all the courses and of course they run differently um, but at least uh, have the opportunity for some competition uh, amongst our members. Which brings me to my 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 sort of my last question or getting close to my last question for you is, is the plans for 2021 so you say the courses are secure for the uh, flagstick.com players tour and uh, so what uh, what does the schedule look like Carol Ann? It's, uh, well, we've got a great schedule uh, and we've actually even added an event uh, this year at Equinel and uh, as a fall classic, uh, which is great. So um, we are anxious uh, to get going. We've got courses, you know, from the valley down to the seaway. So I think we've got a really nice mix of uh, Rockville and, and uh, Camelot and uh, Eagle Creek and so we've, we've tried to kind of move it all around and uh, just excited uh, to see you know just from my role if not to have seen and well I know everybody's that way right not to have seen anybody last year except for that one event we did host, host the uh, the zone championship at Highlands um, so I'm I'm just so anxious to and it's such a big part of my job just interacting with the pros and and talking to them about how their year is going and answering any questions they have just just I've just missed I've really missed that connection as most people have in in their COVID worlds right yeah no well there's no question about that I mean I know even for myself one of the reasons why um why I started 613 Golfer uh and this this podcast was to reconnect um flagstick with with our roots and you know in 1996 you know we're like Currently, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary uh, this year. And in 1996, when I started the magazine, it was it was about those connections um, at a local and a regional level in, in the the flagstick region that we we covered of Eastern Ontario and the and the capital region. And over the years, we haven't lost that connection, but we've grown so much that the size of what we the magnitude of what we do with under the brand flagstick is so much bigger than just a regional golf magazine. And because we're not, we're no longer able to, at least for the time being able to print a magazine and distribute it to all the golf courses throughout the region, we've, that kind of pulls us away from that, that connection that we had where I drive around in my van all logoed up. I mean, I drive around in a vehicle now that I don't even have logos on because I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So there's, you know, from a budgetary point of view, why would I spend money on logos when I was, nobody's going to see them. But so I started this podcast for the purpose of being able to use a different platform to connect 
And that's why I said in the very first episode, we're not going to talk about um, the PGA Tour. We're not going to talk about uh, the European Tour or, you know, that's not what this is about. This is about connecting with people like you and, and educating and, and teaching from a, from a different perspective about the game of golf in our region. So um, for me, I, I've already told Scott and Joe, I, my plan, I want, to, I want to reconnect even with the, with the PGA uh, of Ottawa is to get back to going to all the events. And it was kind of a bit of a joke a couple of years ago. I don't know if it was, a, it might've been, might've been at the zone championship last year. I think I showed up and everybody wondered, you know, what, what had happened to me, like where, where I, where I disappeared to. Cause I just, you know, with Scott and Joe, they're doing everything. I kind of got stuck in the office and, and doing the business end of flagstick and, and not, uh, not the other end of flagstick. So, you know, this year I want to reconnect. I want to be out there more. So you and the other pros are going to see me at the events on, on the flagstick.com players tour um, more. And, and I'll be at a few more OVG events and I'll, I'll be at a more, more charity events and be around a little bit more. And that's my plan as a part of that reconnection. So um, I have another question. Yes. What about the Ping Challenge Cup? Um, well, is there going to be a Ping Challenge Cup? Is that are we planning that? Because this is a big deal, and it's and a, it, it's a huge deal. So for those that don't know, the Ping Challenge Cup is the Ottawa Zone PGA Ottawa Zones uh, equivalent to the Ryder Cup. And if you think it isn't as important to our pros in this region as the Ryder Cup is uh, to the PGA Tour. Uh, think again, because it is. So it pits the head professionals against the assistants or associate professionals. And we didn't get to host it last year, or you, uh, Ping didn't get to host it. And of course, Flagstick is a huge part of that event. And the one time we did get to see you, um, where you, you proved <laughs> Once that a you year. were there. So um, we, uh, I can tell you that we have secured a date. We have secured Greyhawk. We have secured Ping. And I, I will be divulging a little bit of a secret, but we'll, we are also going to have women on the team of this year um, or a woman on each team. So we nice. may have to think uh, about how we're going to reconfigure it a little bit. It might not strictly be head pros, but um, in this world of, of finally opening our eyes to diversity and glass ceilings and all of those things, um, I think the pink challenge is going to change a little bit where we will definitely have one woman. We might have two seniors this year because we have such a strong contingent of, of senior uh, players in our zone as well that uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, and that's exciting news. I'm glad, I'm glad that broke on the show. I'm really excited about having women on the teams um, because we did that from the, from the beginning. We always had the, one senior um, um, professional on each team and they didn't necessarily have to. We still had the assistants and the pros and they, the seniors didn't have to be an assistant, you know, because the seniors generally aren't. They're associates. Right. Um, yes. So they're class A pros as well, but they're not head professionals necessarily. So we always had, I think initially we had two um, in the first couple of years, I think there were two, and then we went to one. Um, so I think, I think that's amazing that we're going to have women on the team because I'm very excited about that. Um, um, hopefully I, you know, Scott and I can be part of that, uh, that selection process. Um, uh, people that don't know Scott and I, my, my, my good friend, 
except on that day, um, Scott McLeod and I <laughs> were, if, if he manages to play his way on, if he actually plays some events, he doesn't play enough of the events to actually accumulate points to play on because he's busy with stuff with flagstick, but um, we're the captains. And uh, we don't pick the teams, uh, but we do form the pairings. And uh, we can be seen in a single cart, not, not two separate carts, in a single cart with our coffees, driving around um, and uh, pumping up our players. And, and it's, it's major bragging rights. And yes, you're right. It's a big deal. Um, it's a fun day. But if you're a head professional, the last thing that you want is for your assistant pro on the other side of the uh, score sheet winning um and a lot of them want to play their assistant pro so we get those requests you know okay can i play against so and so and some of them don't want to play against their their head pro because they know that their head pro is going to get in their head and it's it's quite an event um and maybe when we're allowed to have spectators and stuff back maybe we can really push and encourage people to come out and and watch it because not only is it a is it a fun day of golf and um and a good competition it's good golf uh we're not taught we're talking about strong golfers and and holes are being won with eagles and birdies it's not it's not like they're out there making a lot of bogeys these guys can play golf and they can play really well so um i always get pumped up and excited about it i know andre boris from ping um gets really pumped up and excited about it as well and and uh, it's a great day and a great time and i'm glad to see it come back uh this year and i'm glad to see that it add that element of uh, of a women uh female on each team yeah yeah we're uh as you said it's such good golf and it's for anybody who's played competitively out there you know what a difference stroke play is to match play so uh when you're only working not only but when you're concentrating strictly a whole at a time it's like you said it's a it's a totally different game and the level of skill and of playership sometimes uh, out there is so much fun. And the last time we did it, um, Andre, I, I don't know if you remember, we were, cause you've done many of them. I've only done three or four, I think. So we were frozen, it was cold cause it's in the, it's a fall event. And, and I remember our, uh, uh, one, one group of pros that had the total, the whole cover over the cart and they had a heater in there and they had the coffee mugs. And so I snuck in there a couple of times just to warm up. But the other really nice thing was we actually did embrace some technology last time. So we all had it on our, our mobile devices. So everybody knew where everybody was at and uh, which is a lot of fun. Cause as you said, we're getting in the carts and we're skirting around and, and following people. And uh, if we do have the opportunity, as you said, to have spectators, it's a great event to come out to for sure. Well, Carol Ann, um, I cannot uh, express enough how glad I am that you were able to make some time to be with me on the show today and, and talk about the PGA of Canada and, and give everybody um, a little bit of background and knowledge about you and a little bit of uh, insight as to you know what's involved and what it takes to really become uh, a PGA of Canada golf professional. I want to thank you so much for being on the show, and I hope that uh, you and I can see each other uh, outside of a Zoom video uh, very, very soon. Well, and I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, as you know, this is, uh, it doesn't take much for me to talk about golf or, or the PGA, that's for sure. So uh, I'm, I'm very honored to be part of this podcast and I'm so glad, as you said, you're kind of going back to your roots and uh, 
it doesn't you don't have to look far to see how rich we are in in history and talent uh and golf courses uh in the 613 that's for sure awesome well said caroline thanks again bye thanks for having me well there goes caroline baxter the executive director of the pga of canada ottawa zone um it's funny how in the past year how much you you remember the conversations that you were able to have with people face to face the the sit down discussions and so on that you were able to have with people face to face and, and the ones you enjoy so much and and i can remember numerous occasions over the years over the last 25 years delivering magazines to archie's uh, in cornwall and and speaking with Carol Ann, every time I dropped off magazines, Gwen, we'd have a good chat. Sometimes she'd be out on the tea line, tea line uh, doing some teaching and she'd make a point of coming in and just having a quick conversation with me before I jumped back in the truck and uh, and went about my business. Um, you know, Carol Ann is one of those ones that uh, she's, uh, she's a journey person in the golf industry. She's covered all facets of it from being a playing professional, being a teaching professional, uh, working within the National Golf Course Owners Association uh, for a period of time and then then finding her way back to her roots as a with the PGA of Canada and uh, taking on the role of executive director and really keeping things under control and in line. It's a lot of organization that goes into what they do there and she's a perfect person to be doing that. All right, well, uh, let's uh, let's move through the show. Uh, our next guest is um, from the Ottawa Valley Golf Association. He is the tournament director, one responsible for uh, obtaining the courses, um, setting up the events, uh, strongly involved in some, some new projects uh, within the Ottawa Valley Golf Association that uh, I'm sure he's going to be very eager to talk about with us. So uh, let's, uh, let's welcome our next guest to the show. Welcome to the show, Drew. It's great to have you in. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, no problem. Um, so we're here with Drew Lefebvre. Drew is the uh, tournament director for the Ottawa Valley Golf Association. And uh, as we uh, begin to enter into a new golf season, um, coming off of uh, what was a, an odd 2020, um, one of the things that's just recently been announced uh, with uh, by the OVGA is uh, the preliminary 2021 tournament schedule and I noticed as I was I was looking through my notes uh, drew from from the uh, printed up the schedule there and I was looking through and I noticed a couple of things of real that really caught my attention um, and one of them was obviously the uh, the intersectionals are are on the schedule and ready to go for 2021 and that's that's a pretty big deal for the OVJ isn't it it's very big uh uh that's been going on for many many years and it's also in in the province of quebec uh throughout the province and uh yeah it's a great event it's a, it's a great event um now for those that don't know what the intersection the intersectionals is a uh, is a um, region-wide within the ottawa valley golf association uh team event it's kind of like a rider cup they're they're basically our uh, our uh, match play within the groups and uh and it's a ladder system where you start at A and you go all the way down to, I'm not sure what it is now, but it, it goes down a long way and you try to work your way year after year up the ladder. It's been going on for years and years and years in the Ottawa Valley uh, uh, Golf Association. And it's kind of a premier event on the schedule. So last year, obviously with COVID, it didn't happen. And uh, it's really exciting to see that it's on the schedule as it is exciting to see that there is a schedule and that there's courses yeah. on the schedule and we're going to be playing some tournament golf. Now, there are a couple of new things uh, 
that have been added to the schedule for 2021. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, a couple of the new events? Okay, well, we can start with the first one of the season, May 14th. We're looking at a, a, a two-person scramble, men, senior men, and women, and mixed uh, at the Meadows. This, we, we, we wanted to uh, run this last year, and it was scheduled for mid-May, but it had to be canceled because of COVID. So we're starting again this year, and it's intended to be a fun tournament. Everybody come out, play scramble, have some fun. It's on a Friday. Just wanna come out and have a beer while you're playing. That's all good. Uh, so it's just a fun format to get people into playing playing golf. And um, that tournament and a couple others, we have a, an incentive if you're new to playing in the OBGA uh, uh, tournaments, that uh, if you're new or haven't played in the last five years, you get a $20 discount off your uh, registration fee. So we're encouraging new people to come in and play in our OBJ events that way. So it's just intended to be a fun uh, team event. So that's one big thing. Um, another thing, I, I joined the, uh, the board in 2019 and uh, I uh, volunteered to help uh, promote uh, participation in, uh, in the region. And I learned about the order of merit system. And I really hadn't paid attention to that in the past. But basically, I uh, came up with the idea that uh, using the order of merit system to, uh, to earn your way into a season-ending prestigious event, which we now call the OBGA Cup, which is scheduled this year, actually, August 27th at uh, Royal Ottawa. So what I did was, if you wanted to get into that tournament, you had to play in field days and championship events to earn uh, points to get into that, because the OBGA Cup is the top 15 men senior men and uh, top 15 women. Um, so that's how that works. So if you didn't play in, in, the, uh, in the sanctioned events, which I've put on your schedule there, where you've got order of merit uh, ranking points, uh, then there's no chance of getting in. Last year it was at um, uh, uh, Rivermead. It was a great event. We've got a great, beautiful day for it. Uh, all the players really re uh, were receptive to this new event, really appreciative of being invited to play or qualifying to play in it. Uh, we had our partner in, in this was uh, Titleist. They provided each of the players with a six pack of Colby's. We had a, uh, it was intended to be a shot uh, with a full banquet because of COVID, we didn't have that, but we had nice presentations and uh, great event and uh, looking forward to having it again uh, this year at uh, Well Ottawa. Nice. Now, one of the other events on the schedule that we should take note of is uh, is the city and district uh, championships, yeah. uh, which this year happens to be uh, celebrating a 100th anniversary of the city and district, the playing of the very first city and district championship. Um, why don't you tell, uh, you've played in a number of city and district championships yourself. We should make note to people that Drew may be the tournament director for the Ottawa Valley Golf Association, but Aside from being the owner uh, of uh, Golfamax uh, Indoor Golf uh, for a number of years as well, how many years has it been, Drew? We're in 20, 26 years now. 26 years. Drew is also a very accomplished amateur golfer, has won numerous tournaments himself. So when we talk about these events on the schedule, especially one like the City and District, Drew's been there and he's played in a number of them. Um, so why don't you just give us a, a little bit of insight as to... Uh, what it means for the OVGA to be celebrating and hosting, especially this year after coming off of a COVID year, being able to actually celebrate and host the 100th uh, City and District Championship. 
Well, it's uh, it's very special, obviously, because it's the hundredth year. Um, uh, I can't even recall now. Oh yeah, last year it was it was held at uh, Canada. It was originally scheduled for another course, but because of COVID, uh, things changed. And it was a great event last year, won by uh, Dwight Reinhardt uh, in the men's division at uh, from uh, the Hunt Club. But um, uh, just I think all the competitors, the real fierce competitors, just just want to get out and this is the big championship for the region. They they want to get their name on the trophy, and uh, there are some accomplished players who have had their name on the trophy uh, many many times. I guess I could mention Al McGee. I think it's seven times. Yeah. There are a few others, and I'm going back because I've going through the uh, Hall of Fame uh, records going back a hundred years. There are quite a few players who have won it two, three, four times. So it's the premium tournament uh, in the region for sure. Yeah, it, cer it certainly is. And it, it's it's nice that when you've got an organization like the OBJ that has such a storied history as it does, to be able to, uh, to have an event like this where you're celebrating such a huge milestone, um, it's it's so great to see. And I, see, I look at the schedule, I see I see so many events on there that are, I'm familiar with. And, um, and uh, it's exciting to see that these events are going to happen this year. Now, on that note of, uh, of the 100th anniversary uh, of, this, uh, of the city and district, um, there is another 100th anniversary that actually kind of coincides with that a little bit. And uh, 2021 actually marks the 100th anniversary um, of the origins of the Ottawa district uh, of the Provincial uh, Quebec Golf Association as well, does it not? Yes, it does. Uh, so it's uh, kind of special in that way. And really, uh, Golf Quebec uh, themselves uh, celebrated last year as their 100th anniversary. And we sort of weren't uh, fell asleep at the switch here. And, and we weren't paying attention to the fact that it was coming up for us ourselves until just a couple of months ago. So we're still trying to formulate some, uh, some plans for, uh, to celebrate, but uh, you know, we're probably gonna have some tournament banners and some media coverage on that and press releases and things of that nature. Um, so we're hoping to make a big splash with it, but we haven't really formalized a lot of plans at this point. Now, the, the, now the Ottawa Valley Golf Association itself, I believe was formed in 1942, was it not? Uh, actually, it was the Ottawa District Golf Association right. around 1942. Uh, I can't remember the exact date. Yeah. And then in 1981, it got changed to become the uh, Ottawa Valley Golf Association. Right. Uh, so, no, this is, uh, it's very exciting. I mean, there's a, a couple of really good milestones for, for competitive golf, organized golf uh, in our region. And um, the OVGA has kind of looked at taking this 100th anniversary and and putting a big stamp on it this year by doing something uh, um, that probably is long long overdue um, and uh, and you're you're more or less the one I, I believe that sort of spearheaded you know getting the conversation started and 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 uh, moving it forward but why don't you tell us why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, you know as much as you can tell us about what's what is going to be introduced um, this year by the OVGA. Okay, well, when I kind of recognized that it was our 100th anniversary, uh, this just the thought popped into my head, well, why not have a Hall of Fame? So I discussed it with some board members and tournament uh, directors. And uh, um, then I contacted uh, uh, our OVGA historian, Joe McLean, aka Mr. Flagstick as well. And um, he was 
more than willing to help us with this. He's got records and dates and of everything that's happened in, in more than 100 years. You know, uh, detailed, detailed records. And actually, Joe himself uh, has served in, in past years on the Ontario Golf Hall of Fame and I believe the uh, Canada Canadian uh, PGA Hall of Fame. So he's got a lot of experience in, in this whole process. So he's very, very helpful. And he and I are co-chairs in this committee that, uh, that we've organized. There's five of us, which is a nice small group. And uh, so we're going through the process of uh, candidates right now. Uh, a lot of them have won major events uh, at, the Canadian, at the national level, provincial level. Um, so there's a variety of different candidates we have. And some are you know, going back to the early 1900s that we're considering uh, very strongly. They'll, they'll be going in just for sure. So um, it's, it's kind of exciting. And uh, I didn't grow up in the Ottawa region, but uh, uh, it's exciting for me to sort of learn about the, the history of uh, golf in, in the region. Well, I know for myself, I mean, you know, we've been, we've been around for 25 years, one year less than you. Um, and uh, obviously being connected to events and things that have, have been going on for that period of time, we're certainly privy to a lot of things, uh, a lot of the history of things we've done. We've done articles in the past about the history of golf. And uh, um, so there's a, there's a lot there that I think people, uh, people probably because they're new golfers or haven't been in the, in the game for very long that they just don't know about. And I think the idea of doing a hall of fame is, uh, is an absolutely amazing idea. Um, it's a daunting undertaking. I'm, I'm sure of that. Um, I, I haven't been involved in that side of, uh, in, in that side of a committee before, but I know in speaking with Joe, when he joined the Ontario, uh, Ontario golf hall of fame committee, and uh, was involved in that process. Um, it's a tedious process. It's not as simple as people might think, picking people yeah. to, to honor. Um, there's a lot of criteria that has to be laid out, especially when you start it fresh. Um, I'm sure you guys didn't just uh, start naming off names and go, oh yeah, that guy, that guy, that, that person, that girl there, yeah, oh, she's gotta be in. Um, that you had, to, you had to lay down a pretty extensive criteria, didn't you? Yes, we did and we were, uh... Uh, really uh, helped a lot by by Joe himself because he had all the information on the top uh, players uh, over the last hundred years uh, at, at different levels, like I mentioned, national, provincial, and regional. Um, so we've got a list of, of competitors and also um, a list. We've got a point system to to rank their their performances. But it's not just competitors we're talking about. It's also builders who've contributed to the game and the growth of the game, particularly in the Ottawa region. So that's really important uh, for us as well. I might take the moment just to read you off what, um, what we've come together to, to call our purpose of okay. the Hall of Fame. Sure. And it just says, the purpose of the OVGA Hall of Fame is to acknowledge, honor, and perpetuate the memory of those who have made a significant and positive contribution to golf in the area served by the Ottawa Valley Golf Association as amateur or professional competitors, directors, officials, builders, or others. So that's our, that's our purpose. So uh, we're working towards that purpose. Uh, again, I think it's great. And the fact that you have Joe involved, I mean, yeah, I mean, Joe has been with me since, uh, since, you know, before I even started the magazine, Joe was a big part of why, um, why we exist and was a big part of of uh, every issue since we started. So, you know, I obviously can't thank Joe enough for his, contributions to what we've achieved um but from a historical point of view it's, it's joe's thing i mean he just 
he he loves to to delve into the history and make notes of the history and um and he's a he's a collector as well as far as uh you know old golf clubs and and uh, is a historian on those and knows which ones are worth something and which ones aren't um so uh um, it's great that you have Joe as part of that, uh, that committee. And uh, I think it definitely will make a, a, an invaluable impact to what you guys are trying to achieve. I can't wait to now. Um, is there a, a timeline for when an announcement might be made? Now, I don't want you to give anything away because I know this is okay. big secret stuff here. But mm -hmm. is there a timeline that's been laid out by the committee as to well, when an announcement might be made? Yeah, first, let me just say that I don't think we could make this happen if we didn't have Joe helping us. So Thanks. Thanks a lot to Joe. Um, in terms of timeline, um, we'll probably make an announcement of the uh, nominees and inductees uh, uh, midsummer. We may, I'm thinking personally, we might announce it at the same time as the final round of the city and district. Might be an appropriate time. And we're thinking of having a actual award ceremony and um, for the inductees. And there could be uh, approximately 12 people inducted uh, into this year's first class. So, and we're thinking of having that at uh, Royal Ottawa uh, on the day of the OBGA Cup. And that would be very fitting as well. So we may have a, have a presentation, award presentations there and uh, reception for the honorees. And uh, so that's kind of what we're looking at doing. Oh, this is like super exciting news for uh, for uh, for six one three golf uh, in uh, in twenty twenty one. This this is uh, uh, this is a great thing to have happen. I'm glad you guys uh, yourself uh, have have spearheaded this and and put this in motion uh, to make it happen. This is great news. Um, now, before I let you go, Drew, um, there's one other thing that uh, that I just wanted to dive into because uh, competitors are going to see something a little bit different in 2021 with respect to the the scoring systems for the OVGA the uh, the um, the OVGA is now going to be adopting a new system um, same as what Golf Canada has adopted same as what the PGA of Canada has adopted so why don't you tell us what's happening with the uh, the OVGA's new scoring system okay well this is uh, across Canada as well so all the provinces are adopting this new system Golf Genius and uh, I must say, it's, it's the scoring system is part of it, and we actually haven't delved into that yet as much. But it, for us, it's the registration and setting setting up the system so that uh, you know people can register the event in the proper divisions or classes, and uh, you know we can organize and make the draws and the divisions, who's playing in what division and what flights and things of that nature. We're just working through the mechanics of that right now. Once we get that solved, then uh, We'll move on to uh, the scoring side of things. Um, I'm not sure, you know, the, all the, the younger generation are right on it for, uh, for using apps for scoring, but the older crowd aren't as quick to do that. So I'm not sure how we'll move into it. Like last year for scoring, like historically, it's always been you have your, your scoring your, uh, your opponent in, in an tournament and you have to sign off your scorecards and everything else. Well, last year with COVID, there was no uh, signing of scorecards. Everybody had to, everybody kept track of each other's cards, but they had to verbally declare the, the cards and not sign them or exchange them back. So nobody was touching the cards. Once you had a, another a fellow competitor's card, you kept it, you announced a score to the scoring uh, uh, center, 
everybody agreed on it and we would just discard the card in a, in a, in a box in case there's disputes for later. So I'm not sure yet exactly how the scoring is going to work. And personally, at my club, uh, uh, where they've started using Golf Genius as well, but I'm one of the dinosaurs who haven't really uh, latched onto it yet. <laughs> So that's the situation there. Um, no, I was just mentioning, uh, I just wanted to mention that that uh, Golf Genius has become somewhat of the, the, the industry standard for scoring. And I know with us, the Flagstick Open, we've been using it um, primarily because of what you mentioned there with the registration side of it, that you know we can always score an event um, the old traditional way with a score sheet and a Sharpie marker, but registering people for events has become it's become more and more important that we be able to take those registrations online uh, so that we you know for some it's getting the money in the bank right away which is what what, what uh, you know setups like that allow us to do um, it's being able to track everything about a player it's being able to get their email address into the system so that when you send it a draw you can send the draw directly to everybody with the click of a button and systems like golf genius allow us to do that with with relative ease and i know for us um you know with the flagstick open uh it's an invaluable tool and i'm sure that it it, it is and will be for the ovga going forward yes for sure uh you know in our case we have different kinds of tournaments we have team events we have mixed events and our metal and match play events and they're all kind of different in terms of how we do the draw and flights within the, the draws, like, uh, you know, whether it's men or women or mixed. Uh, so there's, they're a little bit complicated. I mean, the, um, the software is there, the system is there to do it, but we have to learn how to do it, which buttons to click on and things like that. So if there's a little bit of a learning curve, once we get over that learning curve, I'm sure it's going to run smoothly. Well, Drew, it sounds like there certainly are some really exciting things happening uh, with the uh, with the OVGA in 2021. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a really uh, wound up and uh, an exciting year for you guys. And I cannot wait to uh, to see that list of uh, nominees uh, and inductees for the uh, for the OVGA uh, Golf Hall of Fame. Um, thank you very much. I know you're a busy guy, so thank you very much for taking some time today to talk to me and uh, to get some of the information out to everybody. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Well, that certainly is exciting news from the Ottawa Valley Golf Association uh, regarding 2021. Uh, an Ottawa Valley Golf Association Hall of Fame. Uh, that is really exciting stuff. Anytime there's a, a Hall of Fame that is uh, that is launched. It, it's so exciting for people to to have an opportunity to look and see who's been nominated and and ultimately who's been inducted. And when it's close to home like uh, this one is to to our six one three area, um, you'll be able to check out that induction list and see. There's probably some people on that list that you've played golf with, that you've been members at uh, your current club or a former club with. So it'll be really exciting over the long term to see how that list, that list propagates and, and that Hall of Fame grows. So great stuff by the OVGA. It's also great to see a full schedule uh, back up and running um, with a couple of new events on it. Um, it's awesome to see the intersectionals back. The intersectionals are the pinnacle of the amateur golf uh, tournament schedule, uh, always have been. Uh, very exciting to see what happens with that. A full slate back. Women, men's, and junior intersectionals are back. Uh, so that's going to be awesome. Uh, it's also awesome to see that the uh, PGA of Canada Ottawa Zone has got a full schedule back up and running for this year after having a, a limited schedule last year. 
um, another new event there in the fall. And what's even more exciting, uh, particularly for myself, and I'm sure for my uh, uh, for my associate publisher Scott McLeod, is to see the Ping Challenge Cup uh, back again this year. It was uh, it's a very exciting event for us. We get to set the pairings for those uh, for those teams. We're we're a part of that event, and there's bragging rights involved. And I, Scott, and Scott would tell you the same thing I, I do. It's it's nice at the end of the day to be the one standing at the podium, accepting that trophy, that Ping Challenge Cup, on behalf of your uh, your team. For me, it's the head professionals. For Scott, it's the assistant professionals. And what a great addition to this year to have uh, uh, ladies added to the to the uh, the rosters. Um, Probably should have done it before now, but regardless, it's great that we're doing it now. And uh, that's really going to round out uh, each team's roster and make for some exciting golf. So um, that's going to be great. Now, next episode of the podcast, uh, we're going to have Scott McLeod back on. And Scott's going to be doing um, his, uh, his new feature uh, report, which we'll try to have him on at least once a month. Um, uh, one episode a month to do a feature report 613 golf report golf news and information from around the 613 the national capital region and eastern ontario giving us an update on uh on events that are happening on changes in the uh, in the in the region with respect to pros being at what clubs uh, and things like that so it should be a neat little feature a neat little segment uh, we'll call it that we're going to be adding to the uh, to the podcast uh, once a month with Scott McLeod to give him on here a little bit more often we love to hear from Scott uh, we're hoping to get some preseason golf instruction for you um, uh, tune in your game a little bit before the season starts and when you're getting out to the driving range and uh, yeah, so it should be a pretty good podcast for us next week, a couple of new guests. So um, that's about it for me. That's a wrap for me for this, uh, this episode. I remind you again to visit flagstick.com. Uh, check out this podcast and uh, in its audio and video form. Check out T-Talk podcast as well. It's a little different than this podcast is, casts a much bigger net over the golf industry. Uh, I'm sure there's some really great interviews and interesting things that you'd like to hear on that podcast with Scott McLeod and Steph Tedorf. Um, subscribe to the audio version of this podcast on Spotify. And yes, now Apple Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. I just got that notification. Excited about that. Uh, if you check this out on YouTube, which I'd love you to do, unless you can't stand to look at me, but then uh, that's the way it goes. So check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. We'll try to get those subscriptions up for us. Uh, click like and click the notification bell to make sure that you get notified every single time we drop a new episode of this podcast. So thanks again for spending some time with me on the 613 Golfer Podcast. We will talk soon. And remember, always go for the stick.